0: Previously on House of Fantods, Operation Gaslight the Gaslighters backfires, and Cassandra begins to wonder just what alternate dimension she's actually in when she discovers something in the basement. The absence of light down here is oppressive, Even the moonlight is blocked by clouds. There isn't so much as a speck or two of light coming from sparkly dust. Now that I think about it, I don't recall seeing any at all in this dimension. If I'm even in the same dimension. Okay, I'm pretty sure I'm not in the same dimension. I'm in Kansas, with Toto! Toto? Is that you? If the light comes back on and I'm wearing a pinafore and ruby slippers, I'm going to bitch-slap the wizard. With my little dog, too. On the upside, I don't smell sulfur anymore. I think I see what looks like a small ember sparking in the distance. It's starting to glow. In just these past few seconds, it's gone from a tiny speck of light to a glow that's lighting up what's immediately around me. I recognize a face. It's Duchess. I have no idea if it's the ghost of the little dog from Fitchburg or one from an entirely different dimension, but the familiarity of her little face is oddly comforting. A tunnel is opened up in the wall adjacent to the ringer washer, and its sole source of light appears to be the floor. It's glowing a soft golden color, almost as if it's a yellow brick road. And there goes Little Dutchie cheerfully scampering down the yellow brick road toward that sound. What is that sound? It almost sounds like a typewriter. It's getting louder as the light grows brighter. I'm beginning to make out my destination. The closer I get, the more it comes into focus. There's a large red curtain stretched across the path and a writer sitting at a little table banging away on an old-school typewriter. Little Dutchie is going straight for the curtain. She's pulling it back. There's a woman behind it, a woman with golden hair. Is that a toga she's wearing? What is she supposed to be, some character from Greek mythology? Where's the wizard's complex machinery? There's nothing that looks even remotely like technology, just a glowing orb that she holds in her hands while muttering as the writer types frantically, like he's taking some kind of dictation. "'Who are you guys?' I demand, clearing my throat." The woman looks startled and pulls up the hem of her toga to cover the orb with it. Now she's pulling the curtains shut. Like what? Now that I can't see her, she doesn't exist? Like Emery saying it didn't happen? Is this a dimension where closing our mind to something just magically makes it go away? Are people just naturally gullible in every dimension? Or is there something I need to learn about the properties of physics in this one? I ask the writer what he's doing. He ignores me, just keeps typing frantically. So I tap his shoulder and say it louder, just in case he doesn't speak English. Saying it louder always makes it easier for non-English speakers to translate. Right? He tells me to go away says he has to get this all down before he forgets it. Forgets what, I ask him, and he stops. He rubs his eyes and sighs, then says it's the story he's dreamed his whole life he would write, the one that breaks him into the big time. Seriously? That's what this little trip into weirdness has meant to show me? Some wannabe bestseller typing out his manifesto while some party girl in a toga hides behind a curtain? What kind of weird, kinky shit is this dimension into? Are there anatomically correct sex-ed puppets here? That's not what I ask him, though. I ask him what his name is. He says it's Frank, and he wants to know who the hell I think I am, barging in on his train of thought. It's not like my thought stream is some path made of gold bricks where anyone can come traipsing along and pluck ideas from it, he shouts. I think what you want to say is yellow brick road, I say. Brevity matters, Frank. Descriptive narrative works best when it's concise. I don't think that was helpful, though, because he's getting red in the face. And clenching his fists. Do you know who I am? he demands, calling me out for my impertinence. Sure, I shrug. You're frank. What I don't know is where I am and who that lady in the toga is behind the curtain. Where do you think you are? he bellows. Oz, I answer. Either that or Kansas. I'm still undecided on that. Oz, he says, trailing off on his thought stream as he strokes his chin. I like that. So I ask the only logical thing left to ask. Is the woman behind the curtain the good witch Glinda? Frank Baum laughs until tears fill his eyes. Gasping for air between peals of laughter, he barely manages to respond that, my dear child, is my muse. She lurks in the shadow of every writer. Some know she's there, others only suspect she is, while others still have no idea of her presence. But she's there, I promise you. She is always there. I look down at Little Duchy just as the yellow brick road and everything it's led me to begins to undulate and the light, once again, goes out. Between the disorientation of what I can only assume is interdimensional travel and the total darkness it has again plunged me into, I've lost all hope of getting my bearings. And I keep asking myself the same question. Who is doing this? Not how is it being done? Not why? Who? It's the same question early man asked as he lay beneath the night sky watching stars blink and meteors streak to the ground. Who has always seemed to be the big question? And in the case of the Wizard of Oz, it would seem someone wants me to believe that who is one of the muses, but who is it that wants me to believe that? I've stopped moving again, but I have no idea which way is which. Please tell me I'm not the only one who can hear that. It sounds like something being dragged, doesn't it? Or is it sliding? And what is that smell? Seaweed? Low tide? I think I see a faint light. It's not constant, though almost as if it's traveling through water, illuminating the tunnel with an opaque green. It paints the wall of the cave with a subterranean glow. It's just enough light for me to make out the source of that sound. Unless I'm mistaken, it's one of the tentacles that reached up through the honeycomb and grabbed alternate David Duchovny. And it seems to know my thoughts because the moment that registers, it lifts up off the ground and acknowledges me, the tip of its tentacle mimicking a finger beckoning me to follow. So I do. Why not? Down the tunnel, like a subterranean Dorothy without her little dog, naturally. This is definitely not the kind of thing Little Dutchie would just go along with. I'm on my own here, wondering just how far down the rabbit hole this thing is going to lead me. I'm starting to make out a large windowless room. At first it seems like its walls are glowing, but now I can see the walls are lined with a massive bank of computer screens. Various men are sitting at them wearing headsets. Some have microphones, but not all of them. I recognize two of them. It's the two CIA agents from career day. And the glowing sparkly dust? It's everywhere. The men seem to be controlling it as it transmits information from one speck to another bussing data all the way up to the satellite on their screens. Is this what quantum teleportation was developed for? Others watch jet planes spray more of the dust and track it as it falls from the sky down into populated areas while others speak into their microphones. It sounds like they're telling stories. To what? The dust? Or is the dust somehow transmitting the stories to the people it falls on? I remember reading somewhere that the human brain is the perfect receiver. Have they figured out in this dimension how to tap into the auditory and visual cortex and transmit sound and vision using nanochips? Is that what they're doing? I've seen videos of brain-to-computer interface. The subject is always awake. Imagine transmitting sound and vision to someone when they're asleep. The programming would go straight to the subconscious mind. With the right anchor, it could even be triggered to emerge in a person or even a group of people and compel them to do something they could all swear is of their own free will. Why? Who would do something so evil? Oh, wait. That dust is everywhere in my home dimension. Because that kind of power is just too much of a temptation. Imagine a world where its inhabitants have the illusion of free will, but in actuality have very little of it because of what they're programmed to say and do in such a clandestine way they have no idea. They're being controlled. Social engineering on steroids. Oh, great. Now I get to question everything I've ever written. What if there's no such thing as organic thought? <laughs> that last thing about organic thought hits me. It's like someone punched me in the solar plexus and knocked the wind out of me. I struggle to breathe as I'm pulled deeper into the tunnel. It's as if I'm on a commuter train with a window seat. We pass the muse from earlier. She sits alone in a cubicle, weeping. I hear her say all she wants is to finally go over the rainbow because it's her turn. Shit gets old inspiring the same thing over and over for every generation of humans who are too emotionally feeble to man up and get the point. Who was it who said there's a thousand ways to tell the same story? I try to imagine being the sole source of the same story told over and over again through countless generations, and my heart goes out to her. That has got to be one thankless job. Not only do people not get the point of the story she's responsible for making sure gets told, but her very existence is denied as little more than myth. Next up is a man at a desk in a dark room illuminated by a single candle. He wears a skullcap and long robe and sits with quill pen poised over parchment. He's waiting for something. His head turns slightly as if, as if he's listening to some unseen source of inspiration. When he finally begins to write, tears fall down his cheek. And he nods. Yes, my lord, he says. Every word I transcribe is your word. (laughs) Before I can ask just whose word the ancient scribe thinks he's channeling, my commuter car once again moves forward on its invisible tracks. I pause at a cave in which a prehistoric story is being told in pictures, being drawn on the wall with charcoal for those who didn't go on the hunt and no longer have the ability to receive telepathic communication. I wonder if that's how language originated. Evolutionary mutations that resulted in some being cut off from the natural clairvoyance of the hive mind, so needed everything spelled out for them. It would certainly be harder to control a population that has a powerful connection, allowing them to share their thoughts. Anyone wanting to use that population for their own agenda would need to control the narrative, so their first order of business would be to damage that connection in any way possible. Labeling it as demonic would certainly do that. But first you would need to create a good versus evil mythos. Call anyone who channels outside a strictly controlled set of parameters a witch and accuse them of consorting with the devil. Is that why people who claim to be psychic are marginalized and dismissed as woo-woo believers in superstitious nonsense? to keep their psychic traits from being taken seriously by a population you really don't want enlightened? I have no time to process that thought before the Midnight Special takes off again and speeds along its watery subterranean tracks. We come to a stop at a familiar scene. It's a little girl in bed watching three people walk through the wall and stand at her bedside. They're communicating with her telepathically, telling her to stay connected. That little girl is me. I wonder the same thing I've always wondered. Are they angels, or aliens, or ghosts? Who are they? The car speeds past Plato and Sappho and Rumi, Shakespeare and Diogenes and Jung, and even Gurdjieff trying to wake a room full of people who have fallen asleep, because that's the responsibility of the first to awaken. Did someone walk through his wall and tell him that when he was a kid? Did all of them have a muse? The midnight special comes to a lurching stop where a single man sits staring at something in his hand. It appears to be a beam of light. It's pink. He's certain the beam is an intelligence transmitting numbers and geometric patterns with significant meaning to him. He's muttering something about a divine invasion that I can't make out. I know his face. He was a science fiction writer, who insisted supernatural forces were transmitting information to him telepathically. Abruptly, the car seems to be speeding backwards, back to that room full of men at computer screens controlling the smart dust. Either I'm too dense to understand what the connection is, or I'm one of the mutations who needs it spelled out for her. The car lurches forward and speeds to a room with a man and woman in bed, with the television droning in the background. The man sleeps while the woman sits up. She's reading a bridal magazine. I've seen this before, in the dream about Wallace with the demon in the bed. Wasn't there a science reporter saying something about dark energy on the television? What was it he said? It was growing at an accelerating rate, and if it keeps growing at that rate, existence itself will end. The midnight special dissolves into undulating nothingness. I'm back in the basement. The tunnel is gone except for the opening in the brick wall. Two tentacles reach up and form crude hands clapping. I look over my shoulder to see what they're applauding it can't possibly be me. I've done nothing. Nothing except collect a head full of questions, one of which is whether certain people in power have synthesized telepathic communication. In the hands of a primitive society like the one I'm from, the odds that it would be used for anything other than power and control are slim to none seems to me it would most likely be used to compel people to either buy something or buy into something, like an ideology. The image of the black smoke coming from the Capitol building in that dream I had a while back comes to me. Was that the result of an ideology fostered by just such a process? Why would an entity of immense power want me to know about it. From what I've seen and experienced since stepping off the Abuela Express, that power includes interdimensional travel and unlimited access to the human mind. A person could do a lot of damage with that kind of power, starting with polarizing the human race. If an entity were to thrive on dark energy Wouldn't it stand to benefit from people being polarized to the point of continuous war against each other, since the byproduct of conflict resonates at an extremely low frequency, converting easily to dark energy? Maybe it would, unless its own existence was somehow threatened by mere humans being in possession of that power, humans who are deluded enough to think that Just because they've harnessed that entity's power, they have complete control of it. (laughs) You've been listening to House of Fantods. If you enjoy the original creative content and long-form storytelling we bring to you each week, Please consider supporting the show at our Patreon. Follow the link in the show's info, or go to www.patreon.com forward slash fantods.